0: Welcome to Home Page Radio. I am Duo Dickinson. I happen to be an architect, and once every month, on the fourth Thursday of every month, we spend an hour addressing issues of your, our, the world's home, home. And over this last COVID time, it's been a pretty interesting uh, reflection on what we value and how we live because every single person has a home including rod richardson rod how are you
1: i am fine i'm not at home oh well i'm actually at my home away from home which is the wp ken studios in bridgeport connecticut
0: well you know we all have many homes that's true in fact some of us are even homely uh, yeah. yeah okay speak for yourself that would be me okay very good and and I'm going to, uh, in theory, reveal one of the darker sides of all what is horrible to say, the quote-unquote creative class, which is the language of how people who make things describe, define, cajole, predict, hope that their things get made. And um, have you encountered having to deal with "Quote unquote creatives" in trying to get things done, and just saying, "What are you talking about?"
1: Uh, I'm surrounded by creative people, so. <laughs> 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 but speaking of which, before we get any further, I just want to say, on behalf of all of our colleagues, thank you so much, Duo, for all the work you're doing on uh, designing oh. our upcoming uh, new home at 277 Fairfield Avenue, uh, the, the new studios for Bridge uh, for WPKN. Um, well, wow. you know, it may not be widely known, but you're doing this pro bono, which is just Wondrous for us to get somebody of your caliber helping us in some such an important vital project is really a magnificent So thank you so much for doing that Well, these
0: things are really honors. They're not gifts. They're things that only come because of the energy and the positive uh, realities of this places like this and I have to tell you that the positivity and humanity of WPKN is the reason why everybody listens, I think. Besides their product, which is also excellent, but it's but it's also the reason why everybody cares about it so much, including me. And part of that is to make the, make people use this medium to get in touch with probably with who they already are, what they already love in music, what they already are thinking about, but have other perspectives of it. So thank you, Rod, and and. And I'm just going to launch into this. I'm going to basically say that because we all live somewhere. I mean, that's the point. We all have a home, and the homes are all really different. And we're always continually bombarded, really, with marketing uh, trying to get us to buy things for homes. So there's a whole army of of people, real estate brokers, Home Depot, house magazines, people saying, "Please buy this, do this." You know, give us economic. Uh, life, And in doing that, in any transaction, in anything that you buy, there's always a language generated. And the language is, you know, essentially and almost ir- unredeemably, buy now and save. Like, you've got to own this thing. And it's about hype, about the latest trend or the style of something. And we're all used to that. We, I mean, we, every person deals with that pretty much every day when they, when they go and, to the grocery store the second world that people who really do think a lot about their homes deal with, and it's not a lot of people, but it's many, they deal with the people that help them think about their homes, and that's, that's you know designers, architects, builders, people in construction, but also in design. And in design, like every other, uh, I would say, special population, there is a language that they, the, the people that are in there speak to each other with great need. In other words, a doctor speaks to a doctor about medicine in a way he should not or she should not think speak to a patient or, or a client. Similarly with with a lawyer. I mean, lawyers speak to lawyers, and they speak in terms of all these words that are arcane and specific and they know the meaning of. But their clientele, who are not lawyers, are clueless as to what those words mean. Well, you go to a doctor because you're sick. You go to a lawyer because you have an actual transaction or maybe there's a legal issue that you want to be dealt with. People go to designers and architects not for something they need, but really something they want. So if you want something and you know what you want, you know what's going on, You're going to somebody who has, hopefully, done the act of creation before, and should, in the act of creation, be familiar with what your needs are. But instead of actually dealing with your needs, uh, designers and builders and architects, they actually have, for some part, and I would say most part, because I are one of those beings, we slip into a default mechanism of creating another hype, and that's the hype of cool and, and hiding the preconceptions every designer has when they come into a project with words and language that, that ends up not being well understood by the people who actually pay for and use the thing you design, but that language is hoped by we, the creative world, to confer upon us
1: you know, wisdom,
0: insight unique value, because the words are so obtuse, that you will be amazed at our intense uh, alacrity. Well, just think about it. I mean, rooms are zones. Windows and doors are openings, or even worse, fenestration. Trim becomes datum. Walls become planes. And doorways become voids seeing outside, maybe through another room, is transparency. Even if you just want to spend less on heating and cooling, it's sustainable. And this really is not about, you know, the choir singing to the choir, because this is about the choir singing to the congregation. And what I think about when I think about this is one simple truth is that although design wants to be universal and humans have universal needs and homes are the most universal of all the needs that humans have we are really often in the world of design and architecture really approaching a tower of babel we're we're dealing with people that are speaking language that is just not really understandable by the other person who just finds themselves selves speaking a different tongue on this tower of babel you know we call earth and Just like those people are speaking in tongues, can't be understood, the fear is that you, who are not speaking in tongues, the non-architect, won't have your voice heard. And if you don't really have your voice heard, maybe you can't really get what you want out of the design process. So today on Homepage, we have three incredible uh, examples of people trying to translate architect words to non-architects and there are three non-architects and the first one is peter chapman an extraordinary editor who i've known for now over 20 years and when we come back we're going to be talking to peter chapman of taunton press back. It's Duo Dickinson. This is homepage radio, 89.5 FM on your radio dial, which is now probably your computer, uh, whatever screen. Um, And on homepage radio, we talk pretty much every month, once a month, about issues of home. And this version, this episode, is I call home talking with a subtitle that says, what's up with architects communicating? And about 16 years ago, a guy named Tom Porter wrote a book actually called Speak," and Speak" is something which is in the lexicon, probably in the Urban Dictionary. It basically is about the evolution of a language by and for architects, really, that even architects don't fully understand. In fact, during this came, book came to being because um, somebody was doing a presentation at a school and used terms like commingling space and layering and articulate and transition, and an architect just looked at them in the design jury and said, fine, but what does it mean? And so the book goes through things like using the word anchoring instead of basement, I'm sorry, anchoring instead of basic, or instead of saying reduce, they modulate, or instead of changing something, they morph something. Instead of splitting something up or ch- or dividing it, it becomes a fractal, or if you move through the house, no, you're not moving through the house, you are having a kinesthetic experience. Or mapping, instead of saying, well, you use the house this way, but you know, you map it. Or instead of touching something, you have tactility, which I never heard before. And the, there are about 400 words, maybe 500 words in this book, and they're all the same. And a person that deals with these words every single day of the year, is Peter Chapman, who is the executive editor for Taunton Books. He's been there for 30 years. He even had the horrible experience of being my editor for two books, and the wonderful experience of being Sarah Sasanka's editor for all those not-so-big-house book series that sold millions and millions of of copies. And in his little note to me, Peter says to me that he was a house painter an educational test compiler and an Apple picker. And he is probably the most articulate guy I know in actually debunking architect fees or artist arch- speak. And I'm wondering, Peter, would I be even worse than I am now had I not been a woodworker for the first nine years of my career?
2: Um, I don't know, but all I can say is you've brought back a lot of bad memories with that, those uh, terms <laughs> that you just rattled <laughs> off. I like, I call it um archy babble rather than archy speak but it's you know it's the same thing really so uh, uh you know it's it's just the way that architects talk I mean I think they've been they learn to talk that way when they're at architect school and when they're talking amongst themselves I think it's fine but when they're trying to communicate with you know potential client client I think it just puts them off I mean it's uh it, it's really not very helpful to, to, to talk in this way. You know, I've got a lot of, I've got I wrote some pet peeves down. But uh, I, g- I think g- give the, me you
0: know, I would love, before we go further, because I do also want to hear how you guys are dealing with, with COVID and the future of publishing, because that's part of all of this. Um t- Tell me your pet peeves.
2: Which one? I mean, a- Any one you want. Mine, mine, the ones that I do. I mean, t- tell me. Well, probably <laughs> probably expressed structure. Expressed structure is one of the ones. I I never really know what it means. I think it means like bits of wood sticking out of the ceiling. I I don't know. It's (laughs) it's when you can see the framing of a house, but expressed structure is a a pet peeve of mine. I I don't like the the idea of design party. That's like, not like party we're having fun, but it's P-A-R-T-I. What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) And then there's (laughs) things like program and schedule, fenestration. I I mean, the the thing is, I think all you know, all trades have their own language and jargon. I mean, you know, heart surgeons talk about infarctions and other things and, yeah. you know, astrophysicists probably have a whole slew of terms that no one understands. But I think the difference with architects is they use terms they don't need to because there's already a word for them. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I mean architects have words like cantilever and mullions, and soffit and fascia. Those are, those are words because they describe what the thing is. But right. well, if you're talking about, you know, fenestration, when you could just say Windows, I mean, it kind of it's a, it would be a peeve for clients, I would think, if they were talked at that way. So, so,
0: so we're talking about fenestration. And I want to I want to open the window to to the world of non architects that are listening to us now. I mean, I found myself using the word glazing, and I went, "All right, wait." <laughs> In uh, glazing uh, what, is what actually you mean a that? word you know that's a real word but if you're talking about somebody's home they don't talk about the glazing of their home
2: but i mean so, that's a particular i mean when you repair a window like an old wooden sash you use glazing compound to keep the, the window in place so that is <laughs> that is a real word i mean but if you're using it in that way you're confusing people you're obfuscating again so uh but, but, you know, just use use the words that are the right word for the term, and and don't try and impress people and make yourself sound worthy by saying words that nobody understands. and Probably half you lot don't either. I don't know. Well, here's a here's a weird thought
0: because because you and I have dealt in the world world of communication and books and writing forever. I mean, this is part of it's the B side of my life. It's the A side of your life. It's 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 essentially how do people, in effect, more than pictures, describe things that are made and the world is flipped and independent of covid but now more with covid internet's accessibility and internet use has has gone through the roof people are more online just more and online yeah. is obviously very graphic in words but here's a here's a question that i think you're uniquely qualified to at least give some insight on as as the book world kind of finds its legs and you know sales aren't plummeting like they were but they're not skyrocketing either as, as the as the printed word, which, which is combined, obviously, to the Internet word, is, cha- as, has sort of bottomed out, and people are more online than ever, do you think that that universal accessibility dooms the arcane language that all professionals have because of the universal accessibility of Internet sourcing?
2: I, I don't think so, because I mean, if I go on Architect's website, they're using the same language that we've just talked about, so I'm not sure yeah. that they are... Being any more accessible through, through through the way they're trying to communicate with the, out, the outside world, so mm. I, I just I mean I don't know why I mean there must be must be a reason that architects talk in this way. I mean I, I mean I think they they obviously want to sound important and worthy, and just I was thinking if they, if you have a client who's you know they an architect's thinking of working on their house and and let's say. The architect may look in, in a room and say, "Well, I think you need to uh, add a couple of windows in the living room to bring in more light you know, and that, and that's kind of doable and, and the you know the homeowner would understand that but the, the architect might equally say, "I think we really need to reconsider the design party of the Fenestration program on the great Room level, and then when that, and then the then the client might think, oh, well, this guy really seems like he knows what he's talking about. I guess I could report, you know, I should, have, I need to have him because he's he's very knowledgeable about all these things. So I don't know. now, this don't limit one, it to to two. my
0: gender; it's
2: all genders. Use oh, yeah, use I mean,
0: all uh, these uh, words, and and as the as the architecture world becomes demographically more diverse which is true, there are a lot more women, a lot more minorities in architecture than before. What I find is the language hasn't changed. <laughs> in other words, there's still that pretentious, learned affect, which, and let me posit a thing, and you can tell me if you think it's true or not. I, I actually think that it's pretty analogous to food. You, you can go and have a wonderful meal, and it just tastes great. Well, if, if you're, you're on the, now. The, the, the Food Channel, they'll talk about the mouthfeel, and they'll talk about the the uh best the the, the best the in unforgettable bite and they'll and they'll package the most universal thing in the world like a home food into this language which makes it instantly special and maybe more valuable i mean does the same thing going on do you think in design that with 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 just not common language it confers some well, sense think, of I
2: mean, importance I or value i mean res- residential architects are dealing with like a house, which you know, which is a, really a pretty simple structure. It's got walls and a roof, and it's got some complicated mechanical systems. But but you know, it's it's really a pretty simple building. I mean, there are obviously ways to ways to make it look better. But maybe by just talking about you know planes and zones and <laughs> fenestration and all the rest of it. <laughs> and Enfila, That's another favorite. That yes. Yes. What, line what spaces. Well, in,
0: in the last few seconds here I would just love your thoughts on architects in general when you actually deal with them because you deal with scores hundreds of architects as writers when you deal with them do they
2: speak like they write or is there a real disconnect let let me tell you a little story I mean I, I worked on a lot of books you know back in the late 90s I worked with Sarah and I worked with Dale and you know Kevin Olish who you've had on the program yeah I worked with you Probably the one book that had the most influence on me was Jeremiah Eck's The Distinctive Home. Jeremiah yep. Eck is an architect up in Boston, and I just got the job as home design editor. I used to be a copy editor, and I worked on all these books, but didn't really shape them. But this was the first one I did. And I used, I used to drive up to Boston, and I'd spend a few hours putting the book together. And it, when I first met Jeremiah, he was very intimidating to me. He was a quintessential architect. He had his yep. round, black-framed glasses, a shock of white hair. So strangely, he wasn't that's all in black. And his talk was then was full of massing and sight orientation. But together, we, we toned it down, and, and we made it more comprehensible to the layperson. Mm. That was a really important lesson for me, and one that served me well when I started working with you on your yeah. two books. Because, I, because frankly, I mean, when you, it was great information, but there were terms you were using that you assumed I knew about, and you assumed everyone knew about but they didn't make any sense to me. So then I push you and say, what do you really mean? And I think that's what readers and what clients want. They want to be talked talk to in simple language, be- with clarity. Don't try and impress or make you seem very worthy. I mean, it's, I and mean, there's only what, what, one or 2% of houses have an architect involved. With them. Yeah, it's 2%. And I, th- I think if architects spoke to clients and reached out to clients in a way which was, more welcoming and comprehensible, I think more clients would be inclined to to, to hire them. And I I mean, architects have such an incredibly valuable service. I mean, people like you, I mean, you do a a load of pro bono work and I know that you work with clients in a way to save them money. You show them that if they work with an architect, it's not gonna cost them any more than if they didn't use one. In fact, they can save money. So architects have an incredible, valuable role to play but it's just there's this front, there's this kind of barrier between architects and the general public. So I don't know how you get through that. I mean, I know a lot of architects that talk normally, and I'm fine. But I, but I, I can remember at one point I was used to go, get invited to these design awards. I think I was, yeah. maybe one with you, and there'd be me, a journalist, a couple of well, well-respected architects, and, we, and this was before the you know. The, this, I guess the internet was here, but everything was on paper. We'd put all the projects on, table, on paper, we'd, we'd walk around the table, and I, I knew which houses I liked, but I didn't really know why. But then you know, that then some of the well-respected architects would start talking about the massing and the schematic <laughs> and the program, and it was like, I didn't know what they were talking about. I mean, I, I, I sort of learned, but that, that, that kind of really brought it home to me that I don't know if they were trying to impress me themselves, or that's just the way they were talking. But, you know, to me, it's... Keep it simple. I will end
0: on that, and I will tell you that you're doing more as an editor at Taunton to demystify this than anybody I know. So, And it's a pleasure to work with you again on Fine Home Building. Get, get Fine Home Building's houses issues. We, I, I did something, really. Peter did something through me um, in the Fine Home Building houses issue that's coming up. I think so, it's issue 298. I don't think it's the houses issue. But, you're, you're, oh, you're, but anyway, it's, 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 It'll be yeah. soon. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for being on the radio with me, Peter Chapman. Right. Anytime, Joe. I always enjoy it. All right. Thank you, man. So when Thanks we come back, Bye-bye. we're going to be talking to the head of the Connecticut AIA, the executive director, CEO of the Connecticut Chapter of Architects, De Calabro. So when we come back, more homepage. Mm-hmm. Hey, Welcome back to Homepage Radio. My name is Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect, and I I come on this station once a month to talk about, well, the universality of homes and how it gets applied in our lives. We've had a year in COVID where that's become incredibly important to us all because we're all spending so much more time in homes. What's also incredibly important to us is, because you're listening, is WPK at an amazing station. And I have been told that I should refer to it as we, and I think it's probably appropriate because uh, we are creating an amazing space, new space in Bridgeport. And if you ever wanted to contribute to WPKN, they can use whatever you can contribute to help make this amazing place a reality. And the transition from a place they've been in for over 40 years to this new place is just signals the strength and vitality of this radio station and you can really see it on their web page so do look at it well this week's homepage page is dealing with uh, home talk how professionals speak in ways about the most universal thing that humans engage in besides their essential bodily functions having a place to live no matter where it is and the language that often results when the quote-unquote creative class Uh, interfaces, that's a horrible word too, actually deals with, how about that, the homeowner and the design process. Well, I'm not alone in thinking this is kind of weird. And and Same also with with Peter Chapman, who you just heard from Taunton Press. Uh, In 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 2011, the great architect, but really educator and writer, Witold Urchinsky, wrote an amazing piece called (laughs) A Discourse on emerging tectonic visualization and the effects (laughs) of materiality on praxis. The subtitle was, or an essay on the ridiculous way architects talk. And in it, he says, seeking to distinguish themselves from lowly builders and carpenters, architects adopted a special vocabulary, often often substituting complicated Latin-based words for their simpler Anglo-Saxon equivalents. For example, fenestration for window, entrance or door, chamber for room, trabiation for beam, planer for flat. Well, this is something that occurs in every profession, in every profession, especially that deals in a service world where you've actually got to translate um, needs into affected results using a special way of doing things. So those words become extremely important, and those words, I would think become really important for somebody like Gina Calabro. Gina, welcome to Homepage Radio.
1: Thank you, Duo. to be
0: And Gina is uh, leading what I perceive to be, because I am part of that, is one of the most dynamic and sort of interesting professional organizations I've ever heard of, which has grown in size during all of the the strangeness since 2008. And an impact, and it's over 1,500 architects and professionals, and and students, and they they've done incredible things to reach out to the the public, like, and also to to in effect, police architects guides to equitable practice, um, the the National AIA's equity and the future of architecture work that actually is at working aggressively to to make this an inclusive and diverse world where it had been extremely not diverse and she also works directly with the state and federal government sometimes to actually be the advocate for what we're doing and she's been doing things like this for 25 years including a long stint with the uh, home builders and remodelers association of fairfield county so she knows she she has she has walked the talk of making things so gina thank you for being on Homepage radio Thanks, Duo. So how has the AIA fared in this last crazy year of
1: of COVID? You know, it's interesting. um, Initially, I think everybody was a major concern. We didn't know what was going to happen when the lockdown happened, was close to a year ago now. Uh, But uh, interesting enough, as far as home building and remodeling and renovations are concerned, about June or July, we started to see a major uptick in the state of Connecticut. Uh, architects were being contacted, um, home builders. Uh, it was a lot of people were moving from New York City. Um, I was hearing, you know, people relocating from California, from pretty much all over the United States that were uh, originally from Connecticut and were moving back here. So we, as far as architects, and, and I would say as far as residential architects, we in, in certain areas of the state, we have seen it uh, grow. And the pandemic didn't affect it as much as we thought it would. Um, now as we're coming into 2021, uh, again, residential architecture, I think is still uh, on the upswing. Um, it's commercial ar- architecture that we're starting to see the downswing. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people have gotten used to working from home and, yeah. uh, you know, office buildings may not be as uh, needed, I could say, as time goes yeah. on, because we've proven in the last year that work can continue remotely. And so I think that's where we're going to see a lot more renovations and, and. Um, and additions and new buildings or new homes being built that are going to include home offices
0: absolutely, but this is not a show about that which, which I should I, do with, I should do that I should do that with you sometime, but this is a show about what I know you deal with every day because you deal with architects every day and not only architects but designers and people in building um, as you can see from the last half hour of this show there there really has been over probably the century of when architecture became more than a than an esoteric place for the rich but just a, a usable service for everyone, there has been an evolution of language which has been offputting to many people. Do you mm-hmm. find that in dealing with architects on your level uh, every day? Do you find that you have to create a bridge to non architect language when when trying to present what architects are to the outside world?
1: Yes, I do, but not as much anymore. It's interesting. Um, when I first started uh, with AIA in Connecticut, there were words thrown out at me that I had not heard before, to be honest with you, even when working with the home builders. like, As Peter yep. said, you know, fenestration and boys. and I was like, okay, you have to speak to me in English. <laughs> and, um, and there was... Um, and that kind of started to, uh, I would to say, gravitate more to an understanding of we that, again, as we've said to them, you need to speak to the public. You need to, to uh, be understandable in, in your conversations and also for us to relate to other people as well. So we're starting, you know, that I, I think has actually gotten better. Um, I wanted to be, you know, I did hear Peter and I do agree that I think. Over the years, many, many years ago, I think that was it. And I do think there's still a lot of architects, I agree, that still take that same tone and language uh, because they feel that that shows their expertise and, you know, their education and everything, too. Um, but I'm seeing more and more as we are dealing with the younger generations coming through. And I know mm. you mentioned the earlier segment about diversity and and gender. And I think that... Um, they understand that they need to speak uh, again knowledgeably, but speak understandably that people that the client will understand what they're talking about. Um, I think, and I would let me interrupt phone, you to
0: say that I, I think sure. that you have a separate and almost, to me, more amazing function, and I'm sure. There's, a, there's an actual editor, but I know you're at the heart of all of this. You created an incredible digital publication that's really for architects, but it deals with words and architecture as well as any publication I know. And what is the name of, of the AIA's magazine? It's A4 called talk
1: Yeah, it's what, called Architoc. What's it
0: called? And, and it's an incredibly great resource to if anybody wants to look at it. It, it, is, a, it is an incredibly great resource. Do you find that in dealing with architects... Who obviously are that write a lot of this stuff? Do you find that there are words? Do you have a do you have a syntax that you're trying to edit out of that magazine, or you just let it go and let it have the esoteric uh, meanings that it has?
1: Uh, it depends. I'll be honest with you. I know that there are times we do edit out, um, and we do contact whoever has written the article to say that we need to give uh, a better explanation of what they're they're speaking about uh, yeah. or what they've written about. Um, but as as we've seen lately, I don't think that's uh, as much the case. Um, but, yeah, there have been times, definitely. I, again, I think it's a question of they're trying to get across that they're so knowledgeable in it and they're using terms they think everyone is going to uh, look up and, as you mentioned earlier, use the Internet and try to find things. I think that's part of it. Uh, but I think as time goes on, all of the architectural uh, newsletters and magazines, including our own, um, we're, I think we're trying to really make an issue of that, that you don't yep. use those terms so that, that people can understand what they're speaking about.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on Homepage Radio. It's, it's been a great, great to see your insight because you know 1,500 of us uh, weirdos that have the AIA after our name. So I want to thank you so much for being being on the show.
1: No problem, duo. It was always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to one of the people that I look to to help define what our culture is at the moment, because he knows what our culture has been in the dim past in his writings. But he's also been an amazing voice for this creative world, really for the last 40 years. Kurt Anderson, who has just written an amazing book called Evil Geniuses that you should look up. It has also written incredible novels. Will be with us shortly on homepage radio, WPKN 89.5 FM. Welcome back. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. I'm Duo Dickinson, and I are an architect, and this week's Homepage Radio is dealing with the fact that the design people, largely architects, have over the last century developed a language which is often quite opaque, even to other architects, but universally to people who are not architects. And I, I was thinking about that opacity and that, and that weird misfit um, under the guise of leadership, And I thought about a remarkable human named Patrick Schumacher, who is, in theory, running the firm of Zaha Hadid, who pretty much now everybody knows is one of the great architects, really, of the 21st century, and who passed away, and he's taken it over. But before she passed away in 2010, Schumacher created something called a, now, I don't know what this means, but I'm going to say the word, parametricist manifesto. And he declares that parametricism which is a new way of thinking about how you make things using computers, shows that, now here are his words, that the new primitives are animate, dynamic, and interactive entities, splines, nerves, and subdivs that act as building blocks for dynamic systems. So that is a manifesto that is architecture to some, as described by them, and on the line with us right now is somebody that has dealt with all of this crazy world, Kurt Anderson, and you might know him as a truly great writer who's done um, tons of work and been been also on MSNBC and the New York Times, and he's a Peabody Award-winning radio show, Studio 360, was co-founded with him, he was raised in Omaha lives with his beautiful wife Ann kramer in brooklyn but more than all of these things kurt anderson how are you doing in covid
3: uh i am uh well i'm 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 uh 12 days uh past uh, my my second dose of moderna Ooh. vaccine so there's Ooh. that Ooh. i'm That's alive and i and there's that and uh only one of my two children has contracted covid and she's fine and uh you know it's uh I, I, I realize that my, my natural inclination to, could be worse, it's not exactly <laughs> a half glass full, but it could be worse, has <laughs> served me well in this time. Now, more than anybody I've ever known,
0: you have dealt with, and, and I've used this word several times, and it is actually is a bad word, but I can't think of another one to use, quote-unquote creatives. You've dealt with creatives. At New York Magazine, at uh, at news was it Newsweek? You were at you were at a lot of no. The
3: time actually, and for your purposes uh, of of architecture and design and how to write and spe- speak in a lucid, wet, coherent way about it, I was a design crit- design designer, architecture critic at time for um, that's right, that's from right. the mid eighties to the early nineties. Yeah. So you
0: have this unique perspective. You've actually you know you 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 are of the non-architect world and you've been part of and in basically swimming in the architect world am i full of beans when i say that we've created this language which is self-serving and opaque or am i just stupid
3: no i th- th- well you're right of course you are and and it happened to the degree it happened i think it happened a lot in the 80s and 90s when so-called theory capital T was taking over oh. the academic humanities and also architecture and people like, and again, I like Peter Eisenman. I, l- I like some of Peter Eisenman's yeah. work, but Peter Eisenman's rise to prominence in architecture around then, um, you know, he he wrote that way, and and, and and there's no reason that artists or visual artists or architects should write well. I mean, maybe more reason that architects should, since they have to present things and communicate with uh, civilians more, but... but you know there was a lot of uh you know neo structuralist postmodernist foucaultian Derridaist language picked up i think by by peter and other people in architecture uh that did not serve lucidity or coherence very well, that's true. You, I think that's true. That. And, and, and uh, you know, but, but it's, it's, I mean, if you've ever spent any time writing academic writing, right. you know, <laughs> architecture, bad architecture writing is not the worst of it. But it, but it, it is one of the reasons I, became, I started writing about architecture, <laughs> because I thought, like, wow, I can write. I may not know anything about architecture, but I can fucking write. I'm sorry about that word. <laughs> but um, anyway, there
0: you go. Well, I, 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 will, I will tell you that, that, that I did write my second academic piece, last year, and it was uh, it was an enormous struggle, because because you get peer-reviewed dozens of times when I mean, you write an academic article for a legitimate magazine, and they were all other academic, I'm not really an academic, but I teach at the University of Hartford right. and at Building Beauty, but they were all real academics, and they were pushing me to to essentially, and when you just described the advent of theory, which mm-hmm. I went to Cornell in the seventies, and the theoreticians right. had come from the University of Texas, and had completely infused Cornell with this modernist like ethic, using all of these words, yep. and it was it you really put your finger on something because I think that that. Sense of academic esoterica runs through all the academic things. You talk to an English professor or or a historian; they use syntax. The the
3: non-hard sciences, yes, it does indeed.
0: Yeah, and so here's my here's a thought that I want you to think you you to tell me what you think. In all of this, with this huge leveling of the internet, where everybody can speak to everybody all the time in any way possible, and just universality. Does this weird irrelevance of the language used, does it, in effect, push people that use this language off to the side, and does it basically make architects and those people that speak this way more irrelevant than they've ever been?
3: Well, it depends when and where they use it, right? I mean, as with all jargon, and, 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 and I've had this conversation about jargon with people in academia and other places for years. And I get why, within certain realms, there's jargon, because it actually is a language that specialists can use among themselves, and they can speak it, and it has real meaning. As opposed to, A, not having much meaning, which is true of much of this kind of language, and, or B, using it in the real world when you're trying to explain yourself about why you're building something this way, or how a city should look, or anything else. So... Um, I, I think it 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 uh, it doesn't you know so it does it doesn't serve them well in the world of people using buildings or clients paying for buildings or <laughs> all of those things it doesn't it, no. you know it can have as I think. You know, it, it can have the 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 kind of priestly shamanic effect of whoa, this guy, this person knows more than I do. I guess they're I guess they're an expert, and they, they <laughs> you know oh ooh. So it can have that potentially, I suppose, positive effect or not positive effect, but useful effect. But yeah, I I I, I uh, you know if if people already are many people, if not most people, are already kind of. You know, don't get what design even means. So if you push them away from it by being by using language that uh, confuses or makes them feel like more of an outsider by being so abstruse or esoteric, then yeah, that's that's a problem.
0: Well, you also so it's nice when I talk to you because I, I typically learn things and the revelation about theory being this this force that entered American academic culture in mid-century. It's, is a turn-on, but another turn-on you just said was the idea of the shamanistic religious um, reality, and, and um, I am, sadly, a card-carrying Episcopalian,
3: yeah, and yeah. if
0: you're of a certain age and you are an Episcopalian, what is referred to as, quote-unquote, right one is a place where thee and thou is used, and God is a man, and it's, it's, it's definitely from centuries and centuries ago, and it does, in fact, have an enormous resonance and appeal to me despite its complete irrelevance. And right. there are people that love the Latin Mass in Catholicism and think it's the greatest thing in the world and probably don't understand a word of Latin. Uh, right. Is there something in the human condition where some elusive quality, in, in the architect's case, being elusive to some higher aesthetic principle or insight, is there this worship of what we don't understand?
3: Well, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I, I think part of what, is, what makes a lot of great art is a certain amount of indecipherability, you know, non, non-verbalizable meaning or response. Mm. So art, yes. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I think when you're talking about being verbal, writing, speaking about the world, um, it has less of a place than in visual art. Is what I'm talking about, or film, or whatever, where where that kind of mystery and mystification can be part of great work. It can, but um, I'm going to interrupt but,
0: you one second because you just yeah. made a, another point, which I think people have. Well, I haven't forgot it, but many people forget, which is that for a long, long time, perhaps the first century of its being sort of created in the mid 19th century, architecture was really, if not a craft, it was it was yes. a it was an it was a vocation and it was yes. a building vocation and at that same time when you brought up the idea that that there was a a, a theory bomb placed in all of intellectual america um I, I i i have to think that fine arts and architecture that were distinct became in a way fused
3: well I, if yes they became they they were they they were I suppose they were adjacent right I mean right. you know Da Vinci sure. Michelangelo I mean they they did both right sure. I mean uh, but they became more merged and and uh, you know well they, it's not as though art became more like architecture it's the, it's the opposite which is to I say I think you're right architects certain some architects felt more like artists yeah yeah sure.
0: And it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, right now there are 6,000 architecture school graduates every year and about 2,500 jobs. And there are also 6,000, think about this for a minute, 6,000 people that professionally teach architecture in America. So you've got 6,000 people that are teaching, 6,000 graduates, and in a profession which can't hire even half of the graduates in the profession they have, so there's an enormous explosion of other options given to young students to use the skills they learn in architectural education to do other things. And the kids are charged up about this, because the kids that I I teach, they think this is a great way to basically universalize this design into many other fields as a way of thinking about things. Right. And my sense is Although architecture might drop As an academic uh, Economic engine That architecture's Theoretical side Lives on Just like people that go to acting school And never get paid to act Or my son who went to music school And does not play the French horn For anything um, Do you think there's going to be A growing disconnect of essentially Avocation over professionalism Because of all this?
3: Well, that's a larger question set of questions. You know, I, 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 I think beyond th- there's there's theory, which you know, let's let's stipulate that we're talking about useless, n- nonsensical uh, uh, words and text applied to to a particular discipline. And then there's, I mean, design thinking, as overused as that has been for now mm. a generation, mm. it is real, and I think actually there is value in that there can be value in that um, now if if somebody comes along and just says I want to problematize this epistemological blah 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 <laughs> thing that's probably not going to be very useful in making the world a better place uh, or or a more beautiful place or whatever but design thinking I think you know which is to say rigorously looking at what is the real problem here and how do we fix it and how can we fix it you know that, that there, there can be methods and dare I say modalities that are uh, <laughs> useful that can in in all kinds of rest of the world that isn't about building buildings you know or yeah. or streets or park benches uh, so I think that's true um, now and, but then the avocational thing is interesting because I think you know one of my beliefs about uh, the future is that as I've talked about in my recent book Evil Geniuses that there won't be enough paying jobs for people there just yeah. won't uh, yeah. because you know and so let's welcome the robots and ai let's figure out a way to pay everybody in, in our rich society by whatever means enough to have a good living and then yes use your uh you know what you know uh, understandings of music or architecture or art as you say, avocationally. Maybe you're not going to get paid for it. Maybe you're not going to get paid enough to live for it. But you can be an artist or a designer or a musician or whatever, and your universal basic income will provide enough money to pay the rent and buy groceries maybe. And, uh, yeah, so, so there's so, you know, I have
0: to interrupt in here, Mr. Anderson. Yeah. You, have you just announced your support for Andrew Yang for mayor of New York? Well, that's a that's a
3: whole other question. I, I like Andrew Yang, and I and I and I li- I was glad he was a presidential candidate. I, I don't know if he'd be a great New York mayor, but I, I but now that we have ranked voting in New York City for the first time, coming June. I can definitely vote for him. I can also vote for Maya Wiley. I can also vote for whomever else I want to vote for. You know, <laughs> um, it's great. I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. But I like him. And, uh, you, you and would, I wonder if he's going to be ranked voting when it comes to
0: aesthetics too. That you could actually pick an architect not not by hiring the architect, but by hiring seven of them and see and see which one comes out on
3: top. Well, that's <laughs> that's that's an invited competition, isn't it? I mean, that's, I think yeah. that's correct, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I will tell you that that um, your insights and and the books you write and by the way, people out there have not gotten any of Kurt Anderson's books. They are incredible. And in fact, to be honest, Kurt, I I think your fiction is some of my favorite fiction. Oh, thanks. So so I I really do love Heyday was one of my favorite sort of reads. And and I and I you also did Fantasyland in 2017 and Evil Geniuses just take a look at the work that Kurt has done. And in closing, Kurt, I would just like your insight in terms of, this is a hard one, but and it's in a way bogus, but do you think with AI, because all things are going to change the AI, AI, and AI, of course, will eliminate all this human spoken language stuff, and it becomes then programmatic, you know, data input, all that.
3: Although it can be... Trained as I've already seen it to speak more clearly than oh. some, some of the language we've, we've derided. One
0: hundred percent. So, but do you think? How do you think? Say when we're dead. Me, I'm planning on dying in about a week. But you might be living hmm. on for you know several hundred years.
3: When we're dead,
0: how do you think architecture might be different with this AI thing?
3: That's an interesting question. Um, you know, because there there are. Uh, in in uh, as I thought about and read about for you know now 35 years about the ideas of 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 the good ideas of postmodernism and new urbanism and all that and and the value of coding right hmm. the way, which is to say uh, and and coded towns and cities and neighborhoods uh, you know the, and and the value of 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 you know kind of a coherent attractive whatever uh building styles that make up a neighborhood and a town and, and make it coherent if if that if that's done reasonably well uh, in, in within the constraints of a code that can make for more better more walkable more charming whatever neighborhoods and towns and cities than um a lot of uh untalented individual humans or 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 humans obeying the bad ideas of their clients, or whatever it is, you know. So I I I can imagine with the right AI designed by the right you know human beings that you could end up having the ninety percent or more of, of architecture and urbanism that needs to be designed designed essentially by uh, you know. 300,000 or 6,000 a year, or whatever your number is, I'm originally thinking of police and then thinking of your architecture graduate number. Um, yeah. The hammers come there down on our radio that...
0: show, Kurt, and I really appreciate your time. So uh, I, 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 I thank you so much for being on, and thank, thank everybody for listening to Homepage Radio.
3: My pleasure.
0: Thank you, man.